there are a lot of emotions tied to titles. And so it's really working with um, people to help them understand that their self-worth is not tied to that title. And how do we get that title leveled appropriately so that we can grow them? And then what success can they have going forward? Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. And Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. Have you ever noticed how just about everybody at your local bank is a vice president, but when you have a problem, they have to get someone else's approval to fix it? That, my friends, is overtitling the practice of giving employees inflated or even grandiose titles that aren't really reflective of their responsibilities or scope of authority. The type job market over the past couple of years has led many companies to embrace overtitling in order to attract or retain talent with or without the compensation normally commensurate with the title. Joining me today to discuss the overtitling trend and how her company reversed it is Tammy Polk. Tammy is the Chief Human Resources Officer at Formstack, the SaaS-based workflow platform helping organizations streamline data collection and management without coding. Founded in 2006, Formstack is a remote-first company with more than 300 employees worldwide. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Tammy. Thank you, Mike. I'm so happy to be here. And uh, welcome, listeners. Good morning to you from HR. A few years ago, it seemed like all the cool titles were ninja or guru, and I'm glad we're past that because that got out of hand. But now it seems like overtitling is the new trend. And I talked a little bit about what I consider overtitling, but when you're talking about it and when, you're fa when you faced it in your organization, what was it and uh, what kind of uh, challenges did it maybe create in the organization? Absolutely. Yeah. So in my in my history, I've come into startups mainly. And so it's in the early phases of startups where people are trying to retain top talent or attract top talent. And so we, we experience over titling uh, and under responsibility and under compensating uh, in order to keep and retain those people. And so just like every other company that I've walked into, the titles typically you have you know, if you have 300 employees, you might have 290 titles. Uh, everybody's got a different title and a new title and whatever that title may be. But that doesn't align with uh, the U.S. government from the EEOC or the FLSA. And so we really have to be mindful about what title we're giving and making sure that the responsibilities match that title. So where do you think it actually comes from? Do you think companies actually embrace the overtitling or is it just those hiring managers trying to make their job postings more attractive. What, what's really driving, you know, is that just, is it just a lack of planning and we just don't have a comp structure and we really haven't thought through our job codes and how we're doing it? What do you think what's really driving that stuff? Absolutely. I think what it is, is lack of education from an HR perspective. And so if you don't have HR leaders that have the knowledge around compensation and titles and EEOC and FLSA, then you really, everybody, it's fair game. And then the, the, 
the managers, the hiring managers are dictating what the titles are versus the HR leader is dictating what the titles are. And then you adjust from there. And you've, you know, I've got an org chart and I've got a director position. I've got to feel, I got to put somebody in that and I'm not going to hire from outside. So we're going to promote this team leader to director, same responsibilities, but now we've got it on the org chart. Right. Absolutely. And then what happens there is we don't give that person training to become a director. And so they're holding a director title and they're not having the responsibilities of a leader and a director. And it's funny because that is the theme that comes up episode after episode. Somebody's a really good technician. They're really competent in a certain role. So we make them the leader over that organization, mm. that part of the organization. Mm -hmm. And we don't invest Mm -hmm. And training and and the and helping them develop the skill set that you know is completely different than being a coder or a nurse or whatever it is or the best salesperson the best salesperson right. oh gosh that's the worst yeah yeah <laughs> the, the best salesperson is almost always the worst sales manager you'll ever have because yes, they're yes. not process oriented and it's a really absolutely. Absolutely. I find it very interesting that during the great resignation, I really saw um, more and more people leaving for $50,000 more because obviously they were overtitled and underpaid. And so their title got them that $50,000. I'd love to st see statistics on how many people actually stayed in their new position because the people that I saw leaving, they left that position that the, the new one that they went to with un under a year. Oh yeah, I'm seeing all kinds of statistics around people just, you know, they, they switch for, you know, a job they liked, but they switch for money and right. often were unhappy for whatever reasons. And, and probably a big part of that is not ready and competent for the role that they were stepping into. Or, you know, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. So they may be working a 36 hour week at form, like at Formstack, they go, they get $50,000 more, but now they're working 80 hours a week. And that's a very big difference from a work-life balance to a, you know, sweatshop essentially. And you mentioned FLSA and EESC. Let's break those down. What problems, let's just start with EESC. What problems on the EESC side, the Title VII side, uh, does overtitling cause for an employer? Absolutely. So when, if you have government business, you're pretty much audited every year by the EEOC. If you don't have government business, it's uh, hit or miss on when you're audited, mm -hmm. but you do get audited. Everybody gets audited. And so when you're looking at the titles, what you have to manage is the compensation around each of those titles. So it's very important to have levels with your titles so that you can appropriately grow people within their um, title band with the right salary range so that you're compensating and having compensation equity, right? Right. And that would be a similar issue with FLSA, right? Very much so. Or that with the FLSA, should they be hourly or should they be exempt? That's always a big question with the FLSA. Well, and you're in the tech field, which makes it even more confusing uh, <laughs> who is and who, who can't be exempt. There's a lot of gray area there. Yeah. And so if our compensation is tied to title rather than responsibilities, competencies, experience and things like that, um, one manager's, you know, probably appropriately uh, titled supervisor is going to be doing the same thing that somebody in the same organization, just in another department uh, is, is getting a director role for, and you're we're absolutely gonna pay, right. And, and, oh yeah. Well, he, of course we're going to pay him that, that, you know, that $30,000 more cause he's a director. 
Mm -hmm. and, but she's a supervisor doing the same thing and maybe more competently. Well, that's, you know, uh, and so suddenly uh, those, some of those things, and I said he and she, and that's probably part, you know, I imagine you've seen that titling, overtitling comes in, you know, is, is represented some with uh, some biases that, that people have about what leaders look like. Absolutely. We see it all the time. And so it's very important when you go into an organization to really break down every title. You're meeting with the managers, you're meeting with the employees that are actually doing the job so that you can find out what they're actually doing so that you can appropriately title and level them and then compare their compensation to a reputable um, salary survey. You know, everybody can go out on the internet and uh, they've got they've got the magic uh, new salary that they need to have based on their title right. and what they do. But what they don't understand is how salary surveys actually work and uh, how you're compensated based on what you do, where you live, and uh, what's happening around uh, that same demographic for your work area. And that's that. And you can really, especially if you're in a salary survey that's very specific to an industry or a, a region, mm -hmm. if your if your pay is all over the place, you're going to muddy up the the water on that salary survey too, especially if mm -hmm. the problem's widespread in your industry. You're in tech. Have you have are you seeing that in tech that salary surveys are 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 harder to to interpret now or uh not really i've been really consistent using radford as my salary mm -hmm. survey go to um because it's probably That's the AI consulting's product right yeah yeah and so you know i've had really good success with that and it matches very well and so i think what people also we need to educate our leaders and even the employees, all individual contributors on what an actual sal salary survey is and how we use it and what the demographics are around it so that they can better understand because everybody comes in and says, you're not paying me enough base salary. Well, that's not true. According to the market for our size of company, you're at the 50 percentile. And so that's going to give you room to grow. And we're going to set up career paths for you to grow in that. But you have to trust that we're paying you appropriately. Now, if you want to go work 80 hours a week and you want to go somewhere else, then that's your choice. You can make twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 more. And um, that prospective employer who's going to get that application is going to see that, hey, you know, you're, you know, you're a director at this place, but if you're not really, you don't really have that responsibility like we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. When you land in that, you know, you may be able to get through the interviews because let's face it, most hiring managers are horrible at interviews. Uh, and I've seen startups are the worst because they're putting warm bodies in seats as, as quickly as possible. Uh, but if you get the wrong person, you know, you take a job that maybe you know you're not quite ready for, or maybe you just, you think this is what a director in a tech, in a tech organization does. And you get into what a tech, what this organization thinks a director should be doing. It's a whole different world. It is very much so. And, you know, so we're setting people up to fail uh, in their next role or whatever that may be. And so we have to be very mindful of that as leaders within an organization. We need to be responsible for the people that we're growing up and uh, and making sure that they understand uh, absolutely what they need to in order to move on. So at Formstack, when you tackled the, this problem, how how broad was it? How 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 challenging was it when you first recognized what was going on there? 
You know, it's, we had 320, well, we have 325 employees and we had like 280 titles. And so it was very broad. And uh, so we had to bring it back down to reality. We walked each manager through it, uh, talked about the titles, looked at the job responsibilities. It took us about six months to do this. So this isn't an overnight thing. You can do it overnight, but then you probably don't do it right. And so it was a lot of conversations and a lot of education around why we were doing it. Because if people don't understand the why, then they create monsters in their head about what we're doing and, oh, we're gonna, you know, fire everybody or whatever it may be. And, and that's just not the case. We're trying to level set so that we can actually grow and grow individuals in their career by doing this, the proper titling across the organization. How much, when you were talking to those managers or, in other organizations, have you seen that pushback from the managers? Because there's an ego thing there too, right? About the, the level of people I'm supervising, the level of people mm -hmm. I'm leading. And if you're going to start diminishing their numbers, what does that mean for how you value me? You know, it's very interesting. There are a lot of emotions tied to titles. And so it's really working with um, people to help them understand that their self-worth is not tied to that title. And how do we get that title leveled appropriately so that we can grow them? And then what success can they have going forward? So um, it's surprising how much emotion is is set on a title. And you were, I think you said you're using the Radford uh, as, as your guide for, and that's focused specifically, I think, on tech, right? And, mm -hmm. and uh, here in North Texas, the Dallas Fort Worth Hospital Council does one for healthcare, and there's a whole bunch of salary surveys out there for different industries. But once you get hold of that data, how do you align the data on the the, the survey to to the job? I mean, are we going? Are you rewriting 285 job descriptions, or how does that work? Actually, kind of yes. And so, what happens is, you know, if you're doing any any sort of uh, socks compliance training, you have to have all of your job descriptions up to date. And so that was also part of our job was to go through and clean up every job description that we had and make sure one that we're compliant and two that we're aligned to the right title, to the right compensation, to the right level. And so those three things or four things really are uh, what makes the appropriate title uh, process happen. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. For years, I've argued that most companies are second chance employers. Whether they know it or not, they likely have some employees whose critical errors in judgment have led to involvement with the criminal justice system in the past. And most leaders want to be fair in their evaluation of candidates' criminal history, but they aren't sure how best to do so and still protect their organization from loss, liability, and litigation. And that is why I have a pre-recorded webinar entitled The Business Case for Becoming a Second Chance Employer on our website at imperativeinfo.com. I dive into the data surrounding criminal offenses, recidivism, and employment as we review the benefits to businesses from considering and hiring qualified former offenders for positions. And this webinar is approved for an hour of recertification credit from both HRCI and SHRM. You can watch this and all of my other webinars on demand at imperativeinfo.com. If you're an HRCI or SHARM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. 
To obtain the research information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select Episode 88 and enter the keyword NINJA. That's N-I-N-J-A. And now back to my conversation with Tammy Polk. And we talked about managers getting nervous about the process. What about that employee who suddenly is has a different title, same responsibility, same scope of authority, everything else, but now we're telling them, no, you you know, we're going to pop this balloon that we've blown up with your title on it, and it's going to be same job, but a different title, and maybe in that employee's mind less. How do you have that conversation? Because like you said, that's really emotional for, for people. It is, absolutely. So what we do is we work with the managers, and the managers really deliver that because the managers need to own the fact that the titles come from them. And so we'll be a part of that from an HR perspective. We'll, we'll absolutely partner with them. Our HR business partners will, but it is the manager's responsibility. They own their department and their titles, and we have they have to take that ownership and have those conversations. We did have conversations with every employee that their title was changing. Like for example, you know, maybe we went from like a, a marketing digital design manager to a marketing specialist level two. And so we had to explain that to that marketing person that you are now a marketing specialist too. However, if you, from a customer facing perspective, need to have that digital design behind your name in order to get street cred, we can talk about what that looks like on your email signature. But in our HRIS system, you are a marketing specialist level two. And when you go to your next employer and they call to verify employment, we're going to tell you what's in, we're going to tell them what's in our, yes. our HRS. And, and that's, yes. you know, as a background screening company, that's something we see a lot. The applicant, you know, will tell the employer, you know, I was, you know, I was the you know director of digital design mm-hmm. and you get over there and they've got a more, te- much more technical title from the, and it doesn't mean that person lied. Uh, but what it means is there's, you know, there's some misalignment between what the employee thinks that, you know, how they were viewed at the company versus what, you know, in black and white, the company's recording them. It is surprising. I've seen it many times where employees will take liberties with their email signature if it's not tied to an HRIS. And um, it, it's quite funny. In fact, we had it here where we had somebody that said that they were a director and they weren't even a supervisor of yeah. people. And so we're like, oh yeah, this isn't going to work. So you need to change that on your email. Uh, but it's really up to the managers to manage their employees you know, customer facing titles um, and and to look at that and, and kind of police that, unfortunately. Well, and in cleaning all that up, did you encounter folks who were paid too high? I mean, once you got them in the right, you got them leveled, got the right job, uh, that, you know, their comp was out of, out of the band or, or really higher in the band than it probably should have been. And how did you address that? Because that's probably... Besides ego, money in the wallet or what what talks? Yeah. So, you know, you typically don't see it as much with startups where it's there. Somebody's being overpaid and and they're titled. Uh, but you do see it every now and then. And in that situation, what you do is you let them know, hey, you're above the 100 percentile for this um, range. If you want to move up to the next level and be promoted, here's the gaps and the fillers that you need to do and to work on in order to get that promotion. Otherwise, typically what you do is you get a, give a lump sum rather than a base salary increase so that they get something for their work and their effort, but it's a lump sum one time, um, bonus versus an all year salary change. So that keeps them 
at that high band. However, they're still getting some money for their work and their efforts. And how much, I mean, you, you know, you're talking, you know, 300 employees or so, how much conversation is happening? You know, how much input does that employee who feels like, well, maybe the manager doesn't really understand what I'm doing or doesn't understand what my work doesn't appreciate my, and we've all had those leaders who are really disconnected from their folks. What, right. how much input uh, would an employee have and in, in pushing back to say, well, actually, here's what I'm really doing all day. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we always take it into consideration. I think it's it's healthy to have that good uh, banter back and forth. It also enlightens us to where managers maybe aren't communicating real well with their employees, and we can best work with that manager to fill those skill gaps for themselves yeah. uh, on what's happening there. So Formstack went through that process, did your your comp analysis, and, and you compared this position to this position and 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 got them sorted. Is there, are there now, what's the number of job descriptions or job codes or however you manage it in your HR? How do you, you know, what, what'd you go from? If you had 285, where, what do you think you're at now? We're down to about 200. And okay. so, yeah, um, because we also have levels, right? So you have like software engineer level one, two, three, four, five. Mm -hmm. um, and so you've got different levels in there. So, and each of those has its own band. They do. Yes. Okay. And so, yeah. so your employees say I'm a, a software engineer level two. Mm -hmm. I know what the competency levels are that I have to hit to get to three. How do I get to level three? At Absolutely. How do you, what does that path look like? We're not done with that path yet. Okay. So we're doing that career pathing. Career pathing takes a little longer than six months. We've started that in, in a variety of different uh, departments. And um, engineering is one of the first ones we're working on because they were the most furthest along when I got here. I've been with Formstack for about a year now. And so it'll probably take us until October, November to finish all departments, all titles, so that we can have that career path. That's a much more in-depth conversation about what the competencies are for each level and each skill set. And going from a level two to a level three, which is, means the person's ostensibly has deeper skills and is cross-trained maybe depending on the organization and you know what, what they're doing how how much control do you think the employee ought to have for saying i want to get to level three and so i i want to you know maybe even take on myself to build these competencies and to do this additional training versus the manager saying hey we need a level three or we will in six months and so now i need you to start working on this who's Who's in control of that employee's trajectory? I think the employee is always in control of their own career path. And the managers are there to support that growth in that career path. And so there's in, in the tech industry and especially in a high growth tech industry, there's always going to be a need for the next level of person. And so what we're doing now is um, we've set up, I've, uh, we started an organizational and development department in HR, which they did not have before. And so Lori Meeks is in charge of our organizational and development uh, department. And she's building out all those competencies and all those career paths. We're, we're putting into place a lot of self-guided learning for people to go ahead and go through and get certified in different areas of the business, as well as in our own product, so that we can help level people up and have them set on that trajectory. So they have the ability to control their own career path at Formstack. 
as we grow, I think we promoted like 70 people last year. It was insane. Now, part of that cause for promotion was higher turnover last year. And we had high turnover in the in the first quarter, and then it dropped significantly throughout the year, uh, which was good. And so I came on board um, in April of last year. And now we've set up an organizational development department that is going to really lay the foundation in 2023 for how people can manage their own careers. That's great. So y'all are 300 employees and you're remote first. So I assume you've got a physical campus at some place. How many people are actually physically on campus on any given day? Yep. So we have our our corporate headquarters is in Indianapolis, Fishers, Indiana. And we have about 30 to 40 people that come into that office um, on a weekly basis. On Thursdays, we do lunch there. So people mainly come in on Thursdays. Uh, We also have a small office in Colorado Springs. Uh, Very few people go into that office since uh, since the pandemic hit. And it's so dang cold seven months out of the year. Yeah, I would never leave my house if I lived in Colorado Springs. And so, but everybody else is all over the world, frankly. And uh, all of our executives, most of our executives are new in the last year and we're all over the place. I'm in Dallas. Uh, Our CEO is in Oklahoma City. We have um, our COO in Boston. We have our CPO in San Francisco. And then we have our CFO in Colorado. So everybody's everywhere. And so if that means that just adds a layer of complexity though, doesn't it? In figuring out your mm. comp analysis because a coder in Dallas is going to be priced differently than a coder in Des Moines versus San Francisco, <laughs> yes, right? So how much are, are y'all when you're looking at this? Okay. Do you have a salary band adjustment based on on region or how are you doing that? You know, COVID really killed that. Um, oh. And so because everybody is remote in the U.S. in particular, um, what we've done is we look at uh, the most expensive places, San Francisco, Austin and Boston. And then we look at what the the median is for the entire United States and make a judgment call on on where we're going to use and, and how we're going to uh, pay according to that um, the whole United States. So you're not you don't have pay discrepancies based on the we fact do that not based in New Jersey versus playing. Nope, that was a thing before COVID. <laughs> well, that's a yeah. that makes it easy, and and we're similar. I mean, uh, my my folks who sit and do background checks all day are, are mm-hmm. it's high level admin clerical. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of data entry. It's 80% data entry. Then you got to stop on that. This person's got a criminal record or this employer's never heard mm-hmm. of them or the school's never heard of them or they have civil litigation or whatever and, and think at a much higher level. And almost everybody in my organization knows what everybody else is making because they know where they're cross-trained. And we, we pay according to what you've been, and we will let an employee gain competency in every area, even if they're not going to work there, mm-hmm. because it's that valuable to us when we're slammed in employment verifications. Because I don't know from day to day what my employers or my clients are going to do to me. And so we may get slammed in employment verifications. If I have people I can pull over, it's worth paying them that differential mm-hmm. all the time so that I have them when I need them. And so, uh, and our, our folks went remote. We, I, but I wasn't willing to become a multi state employer. And so I told them they could live anywhere in the great state of Texas. <laughs> and, but, uh, uh, you know, and so far it's, it's, it's worked out. And, uh, and so we, you know, we don't have the, the, maybe the level of disparity that, uh, mm-hmm. that certainly y'all would regionally. So 
so you're really you're really smart you know systems engineer level two or something is 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 going to move to the you know the blue hills of kentucky or something and uh where the cost of living is a lot lower and 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 bank more more cash have you had any pushback from from folks in higher uh, more expensive cost of living areas not really. Um, you know, we just did our EMPS survey and over 89% of our employees said they're happy with their base compensation. And so that's really amazing yeah. uh, to see that. Uh, you know, you have the outliers that are not happy and, and maybe they shouldn't be because I don't know if they're a high performer or not. Right? right. And so we're a pay for performance type company now. And so that is we're shifting from uh being a startup mentality to being a mature organization mentality. And that shift is very different. It changes for people. Yeah, that's interesting. So we're almost out of time, but what, what it would be the real takeaway, the main thing you'd want to tell an HR person who's about to tackle this issue in their organization? Absolutely. You won't be the favorite person in the room and you have Welcome to, get to HR. Over <laughs> you have to let that go in order to do what's right for the business so you can scale and grow the business. Because if your titles and your compensation are off, it's just going to make it miserable uh, as you try and scale and grow. And so I would just encourage you to do the right thing. Well, that's all the time we have. Thank you for joining me today, Tammy. Thank you, Mike. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for listening. You can comment on this episode or search our previous episodes at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upcharge is our technical producer, and you can reach him at robmakespods.com. And thank you to Imperatives Marketing Coordinator, Marianne Hernandez, who keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey, as always. Don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, keep your chin up.